The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I am Anthony Cazenza, flanked by my partner in crime, John Sheeran. John, how you doing this week, buddy? You, uh, you, you're not letting the the noise get to you, the media noise get to you? What noise? Exactly. I like that response. Don't know what uh, you're talking about. Exactly. Uh, how are you doing, though? How you doing? Everything going well? Yeah, it's going well. There's a monsoon currently um, inhabiting Cincinnati right now, so I had to stay indoors today. But um, yeah, we're, we're, we're hanging in there. I think we're 71 days away from this thing actually happening. So just slowly chugging away. Yeah, and... Uh... The, is the monsoon you staying inside? Is that uh, contributing to the the good hair day that you spoke of on Twitter? Is that is that what the, no actually, wind and rain and sleet and all that stuff in your hair? I actually went to a dermatologist the other day, and um, he said I'm going to go bald by like the time I'm like 30 or something. So he prescribed me some balding medication. Oh, okay. And, and so that's nice. But he also told me that yeah, no matter how many times you wash your hair, it's it's going to be fine. It's going to fall anyways. So I got a lot of, I got a lot of confidence going for me that I can just condition my hair whenever i want it i don't have to worry about that like you know having my hair fall out so i can't I, we, we, we can't all be like you you know in our 30s and having some some great hair on, on top of my head it's gonna be mainly gone if i don't do something about it and so I'm, I'm gonna try to do something about it well whether or not i have it i still like to rock the hats as you know um and as i've been made fun of by some of our listeners who watch us live Speaking of watching us live, you can join us on Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. You can join us on CincyJungle.com or our YouTube channel. All of our content is on a number of different audio platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, all that good stuff. Really, wherever you get your podcast, do us a favor, subscribe to the channels, get notified when we're going live, get notified when new episodes are posted. And leave us a review, hopefully a positive one, if you are so inclined. And we appreciate your support, not only for this show, but for other shows like Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk and Orange is the New Black, the podcast that is on the SB Nation uh, Cincy Jungle podcast channel in, that's hosted by Zim Hooday and Ace Boogie. So a lot of uh, interesting stuff coming at you, even though it's the offseason, we've got a lot of stuff to get to. This episode is going to be a lot about free agency. We're going to get to a couple of other prospects that we want to talk about as well. Continue our 2020 prospect watch. And 
get you all all caught up as a lot of things are happening right before the free agency frenzy that's set to hit in just a few weeks for the NFL. Maybe for the Bengals, maybe not for the Bengals, but for at least the NFL, there's going to be a big free agency frenzy. On that note, John, I think you're going to kick off the show for us with a specific topic you wanted to address this week. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll switch the flow up a little bit. We'll have me go first. Um, Yeah, so by the next time we record this podcast, it'll be within a month of free agency. I think the league year begins on the 18th, which is a little later than what it usually is. But, you know, as Bengals fans, we typically don't really pay attention to free agency until it becomes like April because that's not really when they do anything. But I don't know. Um, Last year when Zach Taylor took over and he was scrambling to get his staff together, we didn't really have a lot of expectations in terms of what they were going to do differently. Um, There's always the stigma when it comes to the Bengals and free agency in general. But they typically avoided making active mistakes. It was always because of their inactive presence and free agency that always bugged us but they never really made any crucial mistakes and i think a part of that is because of some of the past mistakes that they made you know about you know 10 years ago specifically with antonio bryant antoine odom and some other you know the 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 sean rogers fiasco where just not a lot of stuff really ever worked out and that's almost i think attributing to why they have been inactive and you know obviously because they don't like giving out guaranteed money that's not a part of their business principles and whatnot but it was always because of what they didn't do, more so what they did. So last year, it was really an, an eye-opening experience for the fact that as soon as free agency began, or like, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of days before free agency began, they like announced the the extension of CJ Uzoma, and they've received a lot of you know positive press. I think both of us were on board with that signing, and most of Bengals Twitter and Bengals fans supported that. And I think they did announce that first in order to ease in the next two extension um, announcements in terms of Bobby Hart and Preston Brown, both getting three-year extensions, both getting around five to six million on average uh, per year. Both contracts were awful as soon as they were announced, and we knew they were bad contracts. And when the when the Bengals eventually released Preston Brown before last season ended, we knew it was a bad contract, but they did it anyways. And it was almost like they were just looking for excuses to actually spend money as, in terms of like answering right our plea to spend money, but they just happened to do it on the own bet on their own bad players that wouldn't have gotten anywhere near that money. If they had signed with any other, other one of the 31 teams. So now it's like <clears throat> we're entering this year, we're entering 2020. They're going to have a crap ton of cap space because they're going to, re- they're going to trade Andy Dalton to, to some, to some place. We're going to talk about that later. They're probably going to cut Cordy Glenn and they may cut Drake Kirkpatrick along with some other veterans that, you know, hold a decent amount of, of, of money against the salary cap. So they're going to have a lot of room to spend. It's not going to change their philosophies. It's not going to change their principles in terms of dishing out a lot of money on the open market. But it does open up the door for you know a couple more quality you know signings on, on the open market. And it also allows them to potentially make even more mistakes. Like th- this, this is this is now you know a, a territory or a franchise that is capable of, of kind of doing anything and, and none of it is going to really surprise us at this point because they're really capable of anything. But this is an important year. This is a crucial year because they're going to have to build around a rookie quarterback now. And there is not a lot of, you know, quality names that they have to bring back that are entering free agency for this team, but there are still potential for them to potentially mess this up. So in terms of not necessarily an equivalent of a Bobby Hart or Preston Brown extension, what are like the one the the one or two things that 
the Bengals cannot afford to do. Not 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 the things that they won't do, not the in, in, the inactive annoyances that causes, but the things that they are capable of doing, and we're scared that they they might do. Well, I was going to say, yeah. See, I mean, I, I was going to say what they can't afford to do is not use the immense space that they will be afforded this year, right? I mean, they based on some of those transactions, and if we're not going to talk about the inactivity, um, I just think that in general is is not a way to endear yourself to the fans in a critical season for this team that really needs to win back a lot of fans. They had one of the lowest, I, I think probably the lowest average home attendance per game this last season, and and you know that's it, that's if you discount where the Chargers are were playing. So in that small stadium, so I mean, I, I, they need to do something. They need to not be inactive. But if we're not going to go that route, um, I, I've always been a proponent of the Bengals going for quality over quantity in in free agency. They haven't really done either to, <laughs> very often. Um, I look back though to to a couple to a while ago when the Bengals signed a signed Bobby Williams in in the twenty is I think it was the two thousand four before the two thousand four off season they signed him. Bobby Williams was a second round pick. Bobby Williams was a a, a good football player and a guy that yeah wasn't a household name in the NFL at the time, but. Ended up being a fringe Pro Bowl player for the team. Ended up being a very solid player for the team. These are the kinds of guys that they need. And, and granted, you know, they they brought in some other guys that started for him, but you know, it wasn't big big time guys. You know, John Thornton was a decent player, and and you know, he had some other rotational players. But they need to get they need to bring in guys that they feel will be above average players at least and be plug-and-play starter type of guys at positions that they need. And and I think they need to do this, John, and, and it sounds so basic. It's such a basic concept, but for this team, it just seems like such a reach. But they really need to go after those, you know, those B, B, B-plus type of players. Not necessarily that the absolute stars is going to break the bank, but a guy that's that's a, a reliable player, a guy that you can you can bring in, and solidify this team, and and what that does, John, is it opens up your your options in the draft. And that we talked about this in a, a couple of episodes ago. Really, you can have a little more fun in the draft in terms of the positions you select. You can you can take the best player available instead of ha- having your hand forced. Um, you know, I I just would like to see the team go after kind of those Bobby Williams esque level type of players and. It doesn't have to be, you know, four or five of them, but maybe one or two guys that that you know can start for you, guys that you know that will be above average starters. Uh, you know, part of me does say quantity is also something to look at because there are a lot of holes on this roster. But, uh, you know, I, I think with the space you have to play with, with those aforementioned moves and salaries potentially coming off the books, you have the ammunition to go after – some decent players that can really help your team right away and open up the draft. Yeah. And again, no matter how much space that they have, like there, there's, we can almost sit like a cutoff line or like not a quota, but like a ceiling in terms of how much guaranteed money they would be willing to dish out in just one contract. Like people have, people have to remember 
the Carson Palmer contract, which was at the time the biggest quarterback contract in NFL history, I think it only had $24 million guaranteed money. AJ Green's contract was just under 50 or just over 50% guaranteed money of the 60 million that he got. I think it was 32.75. So that's the most guaranteed money that the Bengals have ever given out in, in, in some type of extension or a second or third contract. And that's, that's chump change now in, in the open market for these market setting deals. So I'm seeing a lot of people talk about, you know, Joe Thune or Jack Conklin or some of these other, you know, high profile type offense linemen and just some other freedoms, you know, but I, I think profile focus is, really enamored with the Byron Jones fit with the Bengals. And he's going to be, you know, resetting the market, at the cornerback position, one of the most you know valuable positions in the game. There's there's like the, the, the guaranteed money is not going to stop. It's not going to, it's not going to decrease, especially now that, you know, the CBA is set to reset in like, in like a year. So agents are going to be leveraging that in order to get, you know, the, the biggest payday early as possible. So, you know, these deals are never going to be given out to the Bengals, no matter how much cap space that they have, and it, it just goes back to the, the players that they have to bring back, the, you know, the players that are eligible to be brought back. There's only like, I think, eight or nine, like unrestricted, unrestricted free agents. And for the most part, I don't think any, like, I think, well, maybe only a couple are, would receive multi-year deals on the open market. So it's not like, you know, even though I was kind of alluding to this in the, in the intro, it's not like there is a Bobby Hart or a Preston Brown type player that is eligible to be brought back and that it would even remotely even sniff any, any type of deal that those guys have. I, I guess the one exception to the rule might be Nick Vigil, but I think there's a lot of writing on, on, the, on those walls where if he is brought back, it's going to be on some type of approved deal. It's going to be on top of a one-year deal with a lot of incentives laden into it. So I don't think they're going to throw, you know, a multi-year extension there because for the most part, they're going to be wanting to purge that position anyways. So they've set themselves up to be productive in the ways that you describe it, where it's not throwing a bunch of money at these high profile names, but it's just, it, it's getting more productive players out of the guys that they do sign, getting more production out of the guys that they do sign because they're just of higher quality. Like last year, their, their marquee signs in the open market was, were John Miller and BW Webb. I don't know if you want to call Kerry Wynn that because he only signed a one year deal and he didn't make it past October. But even with Miller and Webb, like they were, you know, they were hurt throughout the year. They, they didn't play a full uh, 16 game schedule. And when they were at their best, they were just pretty much average players. And there's a reason why you know Miller's job may not be safe, and why you know, the quarterback position for the Bengals is going to be very much up and up for grabs, and a lot of turnover in, the, in that department as well. So, like they cannot afford for you know those quality of, of players to be the best players that, that they bring in. So you're right; it does have to be that transition from you know these average players, but not necessarily to the elite level, but just guys who can just produce at at, at a at a above average level for a full for a full 16 game season. And I don't know if they're gonna want to you know pigeonhole themselves into the linebacker position, but it's probably where we're gonna see that. And there's a lot of people who are talking about Corey Littleton and the fact that he's the most attractive option there. But I think they're gonna be they're gonna try to be creative in in a way where they're gonna get players who can play in multiple positions. And, you know, it's it's going to come down to, you know, how these players feel about Zach Taylor, how they feel about the Bengals in general. But, you know, there, there's not a lot of – the margin of error is a lot um, larger, I think, now than it was compared to last year. And almost – and here's another point. Like, they have to be aggressive, more aggressive than they have in the past. But I think because it's going to be Joe Burrow's first year and we can't necessarily, you know, rely on rookie quarterbacks to be, you know – to be players that are capable of putting their teams in contention for the playoffs. This is going to be a year where they're going to have to bring in new players, but they don't necessarily have to go all in. 
because I don't think the expectation is for Joe Burrow to lead the Bengals to the playoffs in year one. And I think in their mind, that's kind of where they're thinking as well. So it'll be interesting to see what type of contracts that they end up giving out and if they reflect the, the time period of when they expect to be competitive. Because they're obviously going to say they, they want to be competitive as early as possible, but there is a, a reality and an expectation level that comes with that reality of saying we're going to be relying on a rookie quarterback and it's going to be hard to put it all on, on him in year one to lead us back into relevancy. And I wonder if that's going to affect the the overall aggressiveness and who they target for agency. Yeah, and I, that's that's an interesting point because, you know, I think some of the moves would would maybe point to a longer term play in terms of, hey, you know, we're going to we're going to give this time. We're going to have some of these young guys come up and play. We're not going to spend the money on maybe these guys at the tail end of their career. Like an, like an A.J. Green to stay, right? I mean, to me, if you're investing in Joe Burrow and then you invest in A.J. Green and maybe a two- or three-year deal to have him end his career with the Bengals, essentially, that, to me, not only is a goodwill gesture to one of the best, best players you've had in A.J. Green, but it also kind of says, we're trying to win now. And A.J. Green is, whatever your thoughts are on him and his injury history, a deal to him for two or three years or a franchise tag, whatever that says, we're trying to win now. That's a, that's a win now type of transaction. Now, if you're, if you franchise and trade or let him walk or whatever, that kind of tells you, okay, well, they're, they're kind of going for the long play here and, and the contract negotiations didn't work out. So that's an interesting point. The other thing I want to bring up, you mentioned it earlier, John, about kind of do's and don'ts and what the Bengals should be looking at. For so long, I have heard, uh, you know, whether it's from Jeff Hobson or other folks surrounding the club, and granted, these this is they relay this message because this is what the, the team is telling them, but the Antoine Odom deal, the Lavernius Coles deal, the uh, Antonio Bryant deal, the Ben Utech deal, all of these things that didn't work out, that they say, well, that's why we want to build in the draft. That's why we want to use the draft to, to you know, it's it's just less of a crapshoot. It's less money that, you know, you potentially don't flush down the toilet, et cetera. This is an offseason where you got to get out of your comfort zone. And this team loves to live in its comfort zone. And what I mean by that, it's not it's not just spending an exorbitant amount of money and just throwing money everywhere. As you mentioned, John, they kind of did that in a in a certain sense last year in throwing big contracts to guys like Bobby Hart and Preston Brown where you go, what the, what the yeah. hell are you doing? Well, for them, yeah. yeah, big. And for big those players, you go, what the hell are you doing? So it's because they're guys they know. It's guys they've, they've had on their roster before. Their approach to free agency is always re-sign your own first and then look out to add pieces. To me, I, I, I think this team needs – some outside influence in terms of players who have been on winning teams, players who have experienced winning cultures and bringing those attitudes into the locker room, getting guys that are talented players that aren't in your little inner circle that you're comfortable with signing because you know what, what they get you and you know what you can pay them. This You got to get out of your comfort zone. And part of their comfort zone is we're not going to spend the big money because we've been burned in the past on some of these deals. Guys, That that's like, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, let it go. You, you made you made poor business decisions. You can move on and make better business decisions like a Bobby Williams type of transaction. You've made those transactions in the past that have worked out well for you. You can do it again. 
Blind squirrels find nuts, believe it or not, and this team can do the same. Get out of your comfort zone and make some moves that aren't former Buffalo Bills players, right? <laughs> aren't former guys that you know are, are in the Zach Taylor inner circle of, of coaches and, and their influence. To me, you got to branch out. Yes, you want to have guys that fit your system, but you, you got to branch out a little bit, and this is the perfect offseason to do that when you're looking to unload the players that you mentioned, when you have the salary cap space that you mentioned, this seems like an opportune time to do that. On a scale of 1 to 10, how mad do you think Duke Tobin was when the Ravens re-signed Andre Smith? <laughs> uh, probably probably a 7 or 8. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, – I, I, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, old reliable, old reliable Andre Smith for a, a one-year vet minimum, and yeah, he's just old now. He's not reliable anymore. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. But, but, but that's that's like the whole point. Like they have this inordinate amount of hindsight and you know ability to learn from their past mistakes, but it's almost like they don't want to learn. It's almost like they've accepted that this is how how they are. This is the maximum amount of intelligence in terms of football evaluation and personnel department capability that they're capable of doing unless they, you know, actually spend some money in terms of advancing that department and actually hiring more than four bodies in that department. Like they seem to have realized their capabilities in terms of evaluation, evaluating players that they haven't, you know, developed from the beginning. And it's obviously a problem. It's obviously an indictment of this, this small, like small business type mentality that they have and it's not going to be fixed by just doing what everybody else does. And that's, you know, or doing what, you know, some of these other teams are doing and just throwing inordinate amounts of money at the most high profile names. There's obviously like their principles, I think are solid in terms of prioritizing fit and whether it's culture with the, with the coaches and with what, you know, they want to do schematically, but it's almost like they're, they're too married to that philosophy Whereas if there's just one tiny thing that doesn't fit exactly what they want, then it, it, it's not it's not like they're not going to throw this giant contract out, but they're not even interested in him. I mean, they're not even interested in him at all. Like all of that gets lost. And I don't know how you fix that. I don't know how you change your mind on that because there's obviously nothing that can influence them from the outside to change their ways unless they have an influx of you know new decision makers in the building. But it's it. These things just have to take time. It has to be a progressive maturation in terms of hitting on some of these more mid-tier free agents, where they just slowly build their confidence up in terms of what they can evaluate. And I think that has to start this year, like like we've talked about, when they have the space to afford some of these quote-unquote riskier moves in terms of relative to what they consider to be risky. And again, it's going to take time. And it's not going to change overnight, even when they're starting fresh. And this is the beginning of a rebuild with a second-year head coach and a rookie quarterback. But, you know, at, at some point, they, they have to realize that they have to do a little, bit, a little bit more. And it's just going to have to be a slow process in that regards. You know, I, the, that kind of blending kind of what you were just talking about and what I was saying about getting out of the comfort zone. And we had a, we had a comment in here uh, in the – live in one of our live chats i think it was a live facebook chat uh brad howell saying players who have experienced winning will not come to cincinnati except except for brandon lafell um (laughs) i understand that that sentiment and it's a little tongue-in-cheek and and there is some i mean if you remember when the Bengals were supposedly in the warren sap sweepstakes 
in the mid 2000s. Uh, Warren Sapp kind of played, used the Bengals as a leverage game to get to Oakland. And he kind of said, you know, Cincinnati's an afterthought when it comes to Sundays, that sort of thing. After he signed with the Raiders, kind of sliding the Bengals. Um, you mentioned the Sean Rogers thing going awry. Um, you know, the Bengals got Antonio Bryant and T.O., but it was when Antonio Bryant was damaged goods and T.O. was at the tail end of his career. So, um, you know, I, I, my, my point in bringing all this up is that I, I think that the Bengals need to be, be comfortable with potentially paying a little more than, I don't want to say more than other teams, but like you said, John, they've given out big contracts in the past, but the guaranteed money isn't always there. Right. I want to share, I want to share this one, uh, this screen with you. This is Shaquille Barrett. If in case you need reminding about this one, this was a free agent that the Bengals courted last year and they pulled a deal off the table because they felt that Barrett had some medical issues. What did Barrett do for the for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Not only did he play all 16 games, but he had an interception. He had six force fumbles and 19 and a half sacks. A monster year. Absolute monster year. And ended up making the Pro Bowl. The Bengals missed out on a big yeah, they've got luckily they've got some talented pass rushers, and some of those guys came on more towards the end of the year in terms of Lawson and and Hubbard and Dunlap. They had they had some good ends of the year. But my point is if you want a guy and you feel that he's there, yeah, you don't want to massively overpay, but you have to be comfortable to say, you know what, this is a guy we have to get. There are some concerns, there's some risk involved here, but we have to have this guy. This guy's going to be an immediate impact player on our defense, like Shaq Barrett was. And ink the deal. Get the deal done. I remember when the Odom deal, granted that blew up in their face, but when the Odom deal was signed, I remember the story of Marvin stopping at the airport as Odom was leaving town to make sure that he wouldn't leave town and making sure that that deal got done. Maybe that's, you know, it could be overdramatic and that that may not be exactly how that took place. But the point still stands. If you want a guy, pay him and get him here. If, if you, it, it, yes, there's risk involved, but you got to, you, you can't be so gun shy, especially when some of these issues happened 10, 15 years ago. And I, and I do wonder how much of Mike Brown's pride and just their, just the Blackburn's pride gets in the way of like, they, they don't want to be the people who, who, come off as desperate for these types of players like like we always thought yeah like like you mentioned we always talk about you have them in the building don't let them leave the building without without an extension because it's, it, sometimes they do bring in players that would help them out immensely and what happens is they either don't offer him a contract or they offer him a contract where he and his agent are gonna look at each other like yeah we're gonna see what we can find somewhere else and that i don't know if that is, is exactly what happened with barrett i do believe that they offered him like some type of like smaller type of three-year deal which is kind of what happened with nick fairly a couple years ago i think they offered nick fairly like a three-year deal then he tried decided to bet on himself and sign like a one-year deal with the saints i'm not exactly don't i don't remember exactly how that worked out with it but the lack of aggressiveness it, it's just it's just another way that epitomizes their overall philosophy with, with all this and how it just eventually needs to change sooner or later right and uh, gerald mccoy another guy right they were supposedly interested in him last year that would have been a monster move 
for for this team. And and you saw what happened to this defense, especially towards the beginning of the year. They got gashed. And you mean to tell me that guy wouldn't have helped you either? I mean, I, the, these are the types of things where you don't have to sign every guy you bring in for a visit. But if you think that this person can can help you, don't spin everybody's wheels and lowball and and expect that you know expect positive results from that and unfortunately i think that's how the Bengals sometimes approach free agency if you remember john when we had gosh a few months ago jim quinn the author of the uh the don't be afraid to win book he had he shared that story about about mike brown in the early 90s when when jim and others were fighting for players to to have more free reign and free agency and that that Mike Brown was diametrically opposed to the model of free agency and giving players this type of freedom. And I think he's definitely softened that stance over the past, you know, however many years now, but you can't tell me he doesn't still hold on to some inkling of that. And I think, I think you got to get out of your comfort zone. And I don't know if that's going to happen until there's some type of organizational change. But at, at this point, I think we're I think we're uh, beating the dead horse a little bit. Yeah. Move on? Well, yeah, I do. But before we do, I want to I want to ask you this: How much do you think that the trade that trades will play into quote unquote free agency for the Bengals? Um, because it's not signing a player, but you know they brought in Cordy Glenn on a trade a couple of years ago, and that was kind of a big acquisition. Um, there's talk of Andy Dalton being traded. We'll get to that towards the end of the program. Some people are asking about that, but I mean, I don't know. Do you see Drake or Patrick, Cordy Glenn, Andy Dalton kind of playing into this free agency thing? Uh, or like, that's what they're going to count as moves. Right. I think the moves are going to land them draft picks. I don't, I'm not like, cause player for player trades are very rare in the NFL. Right. And when the Bengals got Glenn, it's because they moved back in, in the draft. And I think we both expect them to, in some degree, move back, whether it's be the second or third round or what, wherever. Where, whenever they're at the top of a certain round, I think they're going to receive calls and move back. And there's gonna they're, they're going to end up with more than seven picks. And yeah. it's probably going to it's, it's going to start with an, an Andy Dalton trade. I don't I don't know if they're going to be looking to acquire you know, players via trade via trading you know some of the other players, but I do think that if they do, it's going to be, it, it will, it, it will, you know, be a part of whatever type of PR movement they're trying to do with, with how they're going to try to market this free agency. I think that at the end of the day, they're going to be looking for picks. They're going to be looking to, you know, do maybe one or two things with the cap space that, that they have. And I think that plan's pretty much in set in stone right now. Yeah. And Will, Will Smith says, um, I would definitely trade back in the top of the second to get more picks. That's I, I, I would not be surprised if that, that was that's probably a very highly coveted pick. So I would not be surprised if the Bengals move out of there to get more picks. To kind of summarize and wrap a bow on this thing, we, what we were saying in terms of do's and don'ts or free agency strategy for the Cincinnati Bengals, we were you know, there is a debate of, of quality versus quantity, especially when you finish with the lo- worst record in the NFL. Um, you know, there are – this team needs help everywhere, so maybe you just need, you know, kind of those okay players and, and plug a lot of holes. Um, as you mentioned, John, don't overpay for your own just to kind of spend money to spend money, right? I mean, right. that's, that's just not going to work for you. 
And one of the aspects I kind of said was, you know, you got to move on from this stuff, this, these poor free agency acquisitions, these bad moves that have plagued you 10 years ago and whatnot. And you got to look and have confidence in your process and go after the, the B B plus type of players. Um, I I think you gotta, you know, you got to have confidence in yourself. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We're talking free agency. We're going to talk about a couple of free agent targets as well as a couple of prospects. Um, Maybe a little Andy Dalton at the end of the show as well. But we're going to talk about all that coming up. We appreciate your support of the program. And we are so stoked that all of you are joining us live. We have quite a few people joining us live, whether it's via Facebook, whether it's our YouTube channel. We appreciate the support. We know this isn't. This is a little bit of a slower time in the NFL calendar, but things are ramping up, and in the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to have a lot to talk about, including Combine, more free agency, and then, of course, the NFL draft, a lot of stuff on tap. Keep it to our program on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Subscribe to those channels, and keep it to CincyJungle.com for all your news, opinions, analysis, uh, great work. From my colleague John Sheeran, he's he writes quite a bit on there as well as many others on that website. So keep it there throughout the rest of the upcoming off season. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. John, you have a particular free agent target that you think that the Cincinnati Bengals should be looking at. One of many that they should be looking at going going forward here as uh, free the start of free agency is just about a month away. Who did you want to talk about this week for the Bengals 2020 free agency watch. Yeah. So all that talk, you know, the Bengals aren't going to be at that active. Let's, let's talk about players that they, yeah, no, I know. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and talk about players that they could sign. Um, I'm going to start us off with more of a classic type of traditional signing that you could see the Bengals making. He's a former first round pick from a couple years ago. He's actually taking three picks after Cedric boy. He was drafted and he placed the same position as Cedric Boy, he did, and his name is DJ Humphreys. He was drafted by the Arizona Cardinals back in 2015. Did not play the 2015 uh, season there, but he did, he did start for the better part of, of the remaining four years. We're taking a look at his PFF uh, premium stats profile here. Uh, last year was a decent year for him. Uh, he ended up with a 76.3 passing block grade, allowed 30 pressures, only two sacks. Uh, you know, obviously protecting for 
Kyler Murray was different than protecting for you know Josh Rosen and the other quarterbacks that came before him. Murray was able to do a lot of different stuff in, inside and outside the pocket. So some of the, some of these production grades are a little bit more influenced by that. But I do like the growth from in, in his overall career. Um, you know, start, after starting as a, as a first year starter in 2016, had a decent year, but the the amount of pressure that he ended up giving up decreased as he went on. The only big wart I think in his game right uh, last year was the 13 penalties that he that he was charged for, and that's. That's near Bobby Hart and Alex Revan tight range for a starting tackle. But um, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not the Cardinals decide to bring him back. Um, the you know, offense line was a big issue for them going into last season. And I think they would want to keep some form of stability now that Humphreys has developed into a solid player. But I don't imagine that the market for him is going to be that high. It's not going to be in the range of a Jack Conklin or, or Brandon Scherf, if, if you will. So in terms of adding competition to the tackle room or just depth because they sorely need that. I think Humphreys represents a good option for maybe like a one or two year deal because there's still a lot that he, that he needs to prove, but the growth that he took as a promising prospect, I really liked him coming out of that 2015 yeah. class. I think he had a lot of functional athleticism, but he was able to anchor pretty well down in Florida. Um, I know the Bengals had decent thoughts on him. They didn't, they didn't like him obviously as much as Cedric Boyhe, but I think he's developed into about as good of a player that you could expect of his caliber to be not nowhere near, you know, an elite type player who's not going to compete for pro bowls or whatnot, but I think he's done enough to warrant a second contract with the Cardinals. But if they decide to go in a different way, I think the Bengals need to be calling because this is a guy that can compete for that starting right tackle spot, or at the very least provide, you know, quality adequate depth for Jonah Williams, left tackle. And I, you know, there, there's a possibility that he could play a pinch of guard too, but I think he's developed into a, a solid all around player who can be, you know, reliable in pass protection and maybe maybe as a, as a, as a swing guy who can compete for Fred Johnson in that role. The more bodies, more adequate bodies that they have at the offensive line, the better. And he's definitely not going to break the bank. So this is a signing that I can definitely see come happen in March. So score-wise and just overall ability-wise, how do you see him? I mean, is he an upgrade to Bobby Hart, number one? Yes. And is he an upgrade to Cordy Glenn? I, I cause with, with Glenn it's tricky because you know, he's, he's, he's just, I, he's like not even in my mind anymore. He's right. just like gone. So like, it's not that he's irrelevant, but it was just so hard to judge Glenn from last year because he dealt with the concussion. And when he came back, he was decent, but he was like, at this point he's, you know, he's, I don't, he, he might be 30 years old now. He, he's like, he's like 29, 30, 31. He's in that range. Where where we're seeing now is probably the best that we're going to get. There's a little, definitely a little more youth with Humphreys. He's only I think 26 or 27. So and he's this is his first you know second this is his first extension outside of his rookie contract. So the upside is definitely there with Humphreys. Um, you know Glenn provides you know different strengths with him because he's just a different body type. And you know there, there was talk about Glenn you know being a guard at left guard, but he never really had the experience there outside of college when he played you know seven years ago. So I think there's a little bit more flexibility that you can do with Humphreys, and obviously the age definitely helps. Whereas Glenn is more maxed out, Humphreys I think is still still starting to hit his stride, and we can see two to three to four more you know potentially high end years or at least above average years for a guy of his caliber. So I would say that yes, he's an upgrade over Bobby Hart, even though they both end up getting in a lot of penalty trouble because you know with, with, with Hart it's more of dependent upon who he faces you know, on the other team in, in terms of the quality of the pass rushers that he goes up against with Humphreys, there's a lot more consistency in his technique and his handwork and just functional athleticism because, you know, with, with Hart, it's always like, you know, he's rushing to get out into a set because he can't, doesn't have that natural movement in his legs with Humphreys. 
He's much more of a natural athlete, and that always helps, especially when you compare that with just you know te- technical and quality handwork. So that definitely is there more for Humphreys, but it's obviously relevant. You know, relative when you're talking about Bobby Hart and I guess the, the last two years of Corey Glenn that we've seen. So better than what we've seen, you know, in, in, at least in spurts from the Bengals offensive, offensive tackles. So this this screams, uh, aside, by the way, so a fun side note about DJ Humphreys, 2011 Anthony Munoz award winner awarded to the best offensive lineman in high school. So uh, kind of fun note there. Uh, aside from that, this, this kind of screams – Bengals, uh, Bengals pick right. A f- former first round pick, maybe underachieved a little bit as a first round pick. Could be affordable. Could be a serviceable starter. This just to me sa- screams Bengals free agency target, as opposed to the Jack Conklins, Conklins and whatnot. You know, again, not something that moves the needle probably terribly much, but uh, you know, if it's an upgrade even a marginal one, it's an upgrade on an offensive line that really needs some help. So um, good work there, John. I'm going to ask you to queue up. I'm going to, I'm going to put this down right now, but I'm going to ask you if you could uh, Mm -hmm. to to queue up uh, just a second. The guy that I'm going to talk about after I put up something, Um, the guy, the guy I want to talk about this week is not necessarily, and he came to mind because of some news about him. So he, as we sit here today, he is not currently an unrestricted free agent. He is under contract with the Washington Redskins. He is defensive back Quentin Dunbar. Um, the news came out this week that Quentin Dunbar was uh, is, is currently unhappy with the Washington Redskins and uh, unhappy with his contract. I, I think he just signed one recently um, after his rookie deal kind of got an extension, but he's a guy that has, has put up some stats and has played well and, th- and basically thinks he has outperformed his contract, either kind of is asking to be traded or released um, by the Redskins. Yeah, that's how badly he wants out of there. Now, I don't know that a guy like that, if he is released and maybe gets his free reign on a free agency type of situation, I don't know that he would want to leave Washington for maybe a situation like the Bengals unless he feels very comfortable there. But who knows? We'll see. But he is a guy that could be a free agent and or a trade target for the Cincinnati Bengals. We had a, a, someone ask, you know, who who could you see the Bengals potentially trading Andy Dalton for? I mean, a, a player for player trade and in terms of need and whatnot, maybe the Bengals, you know, swing a deal for Andy Dalton to Washington and this guy's part of the package. I don't know, but a lot of different things could happen with this player. He's not currently available as a free agent, could be or is potentially available as a trade target. So before we pull up what John has uh, to show about about this young man, I want to bring up some stats here of him. Uh, if you look here, nine nine picks in five seasons, not overly great, but really you see the, the trajectory of the past two seasons. And, and the, the one thing that really stands out, unfortunately, not a 16-game season – at all for him uh injuries and whatnot have, have kind of kept him out you see the limited amount of starts but you see the production six and inter- six of those nine interceptions in the past two seasons in 17 starts so i think this team and this defense 
needs to kind of make a decision uh, and some hard decisions at, at cornerback. You got Darquez Denard, who is PFF's a, a high-rated PFF player for a slot corner, a guy that's that was just on a one-year deal. The Bengals kind of kind of stole him last year a little bit, uh, but he was on the pup list to start the year and and didn't come back until um, a little bit into the season. Played pretty well throughout the year, but he's an impending free agent. You also have the situation with Drake Kirkpatrick, and the other interesting situation that not a lot of people are talking about is how Darius Phillips ended the season. He had four interceptions in a reserve or, you know, kind of rescue role as the, as the defense and that position got dinged up pretty, pretty heavily. So I, the reason I bring that up is a guy like Dunbar and a guy like Phillips, these, these are maybe the types of guys, these, uh, big play opportunity guys might be more in the mold of what Luana Rumo is looking for instead of a Drake Kirkpatrick who has very limited interceptions over the past handful of years. So um, this guy seems to be around the ball. Um, unfortunately, like I said, games missed. That's not um, that's not something you like. This is a position group that has been decimated by injury and they need help there. You see the uh, 25 passes defensed over the, um, you know, the past three seasons there. So that's a pretty decent statistic, especially when you're talking about just 21 starts in the time. So, you know, there, there, there's some, there's some risk here, but there is some potential reward as well. John, um, you brought up his season grades here. What do you, what are you seeing in terms of his PFF grades? Um, I mean, I'm seeing a, a, an outstanding performance against the Giants, though the Giants' defense at the beginning of the season was not that great. Um, an outstanding, you know, outstanding performance against the Dolphins, both in the 90s there. Um, overall, a real high PFF score for, for overall defensive rating of 87.6, it looks like. Um, uh, just kind of a solid player, right? I think so too. And those are the first two that stood out to me. And then I realized it was against an early game. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Brian, Brian Fitzpatrick right. of the Dolphins, but um, looking at his overall coverage stats, overall passer rating of only 56.9 allowed mm-hmm. when he was targeted 52 times. So he only gave up 29 catches, catch rate of 55%. Um, in some of the, some of his best games, like he was targeted five, eight times. He only gave up two receptions here uh, in, the, in that game against the Dolphins. He only gave up three receptions. So, not not a lot. Like uh, this is a profile of someone who is pretty locked down. Not not lockdown coverage, but it's pretty sticky and and is able to close a lot of windows and maybe not have a ton of ball production. He only had I think four passes defended. But he also had four interceptions. So when the ball does come his way, he he seems to make the most of it. And I I think this is a, a profile of someone who's pretty much in in the right position at the at the at the right times. And, you know, obviously the production is going to be inflated when you're not going up against, you know, the heavyweights at the quarterback position. But in, in terms of overall coverage ability, I think, you know, the, the 89.5 per, uh, grade kind of speaks for itself because PFF doesn't really value ball production as much as just being in position and, and just quarterbacks avoiding you is more important than quarterbacks targeting you heavily and, you know, getting a lot of ball production. So if, if quarterbacks are avoiding him, then obviously that is a testament of his coverage ability. You, you can see that he was only lined up on the right side of the field at right cornerback. That's William Jackson's spot, but the Bengals are, are you know, dependent upon keeping those cornerbacks 
on certain sides of the field. So, you know, even if he's definitely a starting caliber player, and I don't think he would come here to not be a starter. So if that position opens up where Drake or Patrick does end up getting, you know, cut and Dunbar is trying to force his way out, this would obviously be an upgrade in my opinion. I, you know, you know, he's a slightly younger player. I'm assuming the schematic fit isn't going to be that much different. Um, but Ron Rivera is going to want to probably keep him around and, and maybe he buys into what Rivera's pick, putting down. Rivera's obviously a, a fantastic defensive mind and, you know, maybe it's going to be a lot different than what it was, what it was when Jay Gruden was there. But, you know, Dunbar is a solid player and he's still only 27 years old and he did see growth in his career from 2015 on. Obviously last year was a career year and I don't think Washington's going to be too eager to, you know, to, to see him go away, but you're right. You know, he didn't finish the year. Um, you know, last game that he played was week 14 against the Packers, but this is about as stable of a year that you could see from a cornerback. And I think the overall total grades kind of reflect that. Yeah. I, the, the one thing that a lot of people don't know about this kid, you look at his size, 6'2", 197, and you look, you know, I mentioned his career arc and how he's kind of started to hit his stride the past couple of seasons in terms of creating turnovers and playing more solid football. Coming into the NFL, this kid was a wide receiver. Really? Uh, yes. He was a wide receiver uh, out of Florida. And the Redskins, as an, after going undrafted in 2015, the Redskins switched him to corner. Uh, and they, you know, he was kind of a special teams guy early on. They said, you know, we're, we're going to make you a corner and you now see the hands, you know, he always had the hands as a wide receiver. The hands have kind of caught up now with, or, or I guess I should say the skills uh, in learning the cornerback position have caught up to the hands. So he's, he doesn't look totally lost out there. And now He's getting a feel for the position and he's utilizing his receiver skills to really maximize his potential at this position. So this is a guy that, yeah, the injuries have been there. The missed time is concerning, but this is a guy who really might be starting to hit his stride at this position because this wasn't his natural position and now he's playing it like it is. So um, that makes him an intriguing player to me. Um, again, not currently available as things currently stand, but could be had either via trade or if things get really ugly and we've seen players get really disenchanted with the Redskins as of late. Um, you know, this is a guy that, that could, you know, force his way up via release. And then all of a sudden you, you go after him. So, um, I I'm kind of skirting the, the free agency watch list line a little bit, John, but, um, you know, I, I thought this guy was, uh, pretty, um, you know, a pretty fascinating guy. And I think pro football focus of the, the Cincinnati account specifically highlighted this guy this week, um, and, and said, you know, this is a guy that, that the team may want to look at. Yeah. They, they thought ahead because I'm assuming you thought of this too. If he does get cut and they do sign him, they're not going to get pinned for a compensatory pick yep. so that they're obviously going to be looking at those guys consistently. I think that was – was that the deal with BWO or was, was he just an unrestricted free agent? He was an unrestricted guy, I think, yeah. yeah. Okay, but yeah. but yeah, like the fact that they don't have any comp picks this year probably pisses them off a little bit. Right, right. So I'm not sure that they're going to put themselves in position to lose any next year. So the Dunbar, if he does get released, is definitely a guy they're going to be looking at, especially if they do get rid of Drake or Patrick. Yeah. So those are our guys this week, DJ Humphreys and Quentin Dunbar. Um, I kind of cheated a little bit, but that's what I do. I'm a cheater. I don't know. But uh, those are our two guys for the free agency watch list. We've done a couple of others in the past. So keep it to our show as we continue that over the next, really the next handful of episodes before free agency kickoff hits in mid-March.
John, let's continue another list we've been doing, the 2020 prospect watch list. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first this time? I'll go first. I'm, I'm, go I'm, I, I like the guy we're going to talk about. And this his name did actually pop up in our listener questions episode from last Friday. If you haven't checked that out, definitely check that out on Sissy Jungle and, and, our, and anywhere you can get our podcast. But uh, there was a mentioning about just how the Bengals are going to attack the linebacker position. And it's been I we just talked about it about half an hour ago. I think if they're going to get some type of a quality starter, it's probably going to be at the linebacker position. What player that is, we don't know. A lot of people want to say it's Corey Littleton. Regardless, that's beside the fact. This isn't this an extremely strong class of linebackers, but as our friend Matt Minich likes to say, it's not about the quality of class. It's just about finding the right guy for you. And there's a lot of guys in this class that aren't seen as traditional linebackers. They're, they're guys who could potentially make a transition into more of an off-ball role because of, of size constraints or just because they're, they're just great athletes. And, and you know the, the NFL wants them out in space because the coverage is so much more important than it was 10 years ago. So looking at, you know, beyond, you know, the first round, because there's going to be, you know, Isaiah Simmons off the board, Patrick Queen off the board, potentially Kenneth Murray off the board, the, the Bengals might have to get creative. And they probably aren't going to want to rely on a rookie linebacker playing significant stats because they had issues with Jermaine Pratt last year, getting him on the field, getting him acclimated into the system. And it took a while for him to really hit his stride. And so I think they're going to have Pratt and some type of other veterans start for them. So they would want a guy who can play in spurts and can give them a building coverage, but not necessarily, you know, have to rely on them to play significant snaps, but also because this, this defense has evolved into more of a multiple front that I could have, I could definitely see them wanting a guy who has experience, you know, playing on the line of scrimmage, you know, setting the edge off the edge, but also experience pressure in the past. And I think that's when you get a guy like Zach Bond from Wisconsin, his name would definitely start to end the conversation when you get into round two, or even if by some chance he falls into round three. Now Bond, it was a pass rusher at Wisconsin. Unfortunately, he was a redshirt senior um, at, and that's way into the draft. And he only played two years, two true years at Wisconsin because he dealt with injuries uh, the first year that he was supposed to play, the first year that he was supposed to start. So he only really has two years worth of tape. And unfortunately, um, not a lot of experience as an off-ball linebacker. But in terms of pr- productivity as a pass rusher, I believe PFF had him graded in, in the, um, he had a 91.6 pass rushing grade. Uh, this past year, Wisconsin he was very productive there, and that's where that's where most of his tape is um, uh, for this 2019 season. But the main thing here is that they saw him down the Senior Bowl. He played for the North team under the Lions, and the Lions used the crap out of him as, you know, as an off-ball guy. And that's what the Bengals did with Jonathan Grenard for the South team. But you know, Bond, you know, obviously he had a good week. He, he, there's a reason why he's still being talked about as, as a guy who could potentially go in the second round. Like he didn't blow his chances at all. You know, trying to fit into multiple roles. Um, as an off-ball linebacker, but the thing of why this transition can make sense is because, you know, he, when he when he was asked to play in space, when he was asked to drop back in coverage, the ability to flip his hips, the the, the flexibility that he has as a, as an athlete in space, it definitely showed up. So this is a you know, it's it's going to be hard for him to be a full-time edge defender. I think he was listed as 230 pounds or whatever um, at college, and he went up to 241 for the Senior Bowl. And I think a lot of that was because he was expecting. You know, a lot of questions, a lot of teams who want, in, want him more as an off-ball guy. But the versatility that he provides, the fact that he is competent in space, the fact that he can handle a lot of coverage responsibilities. He had a he had a coverage rate of 77.3 last year for PFF, and I think he had a coverage rate of like 81 in the year before. So there, there is, you know, productive tape for him, you know, playing in those short zones, being able to match up coverage on, on some of those shorter routes. So, I, I you know, for, for at least 2020, a guy who can be more of a reserve, a spot starter, as he still gets acclimated to the position, but also 
they need depth at edge rusher too. Like they're they're going to rely on Dunlap and Hubbard and Lawson to play the the majority of the snaps. But to have a guy in Bond who can kind of give them, those guys a break and provide a you know a pressure and a pinch, be, you know, with experience of being in a system that is similar to this, I think there's a lot of value in that. And we have to recognize that the Bengals when they do draft guys high, they they want guys to do multiple things, and especially for guys in in, in the defensive front, if you will, just, just guys who can do multiple a multitude of things. And they have the luxury of not necessarily having to, you know, rely on him being at a traditional linebacker and play significant snaps immediately. But you know, he's got the athleticism, he's got the experience, he's highly regarded as a high character guy. He's a former quarterback in high school. He's a multi multi um, positional player in high school. He actually ran track. was was um, also a basketball player as well. So there's a lot of great things to like about Bond. But there's not a lot of elite things where he would go in the first round. So I think in terms of if they want to trade back in the second round, and if they if if he ends up falling to them, I think he's a target for sure for them to fill multiple roles in this defense. Yeah, a little bit of a like you said, kind of a little bit of a tweener guy, but but a lot of skills that you like. Um, just seems to be like an all around, like he's he's pretty good at everything, right? right. I mean, he's just kind of. I mean, there there might be some like you said, there might be uh, for some for some off ball stuff and more four, three set where he's maybe playing a little bit more traditional linebacker type of stuff. There may be a learning curve there, but he seems to, to be able he seems to be a heady guy that that's kind of a Wisconsin defense trait. Like in order to be a Wisconsin defensive player and play well in that system, you got, you got to have a high football IQ. This kid seems to have it. He seems to have a lot of skills. I, I do like this kid. And I think he would um, be someone that, uh, uh, yeah, Brian Kramer says I think Dave Lapham is high on Bond. So that's guy. Um, well, if Lapham is high on them, I'm assuming the Bengals are high on them too. <laughs> correct, correct. So uh, that's that's someone to look at. I'm going to go uh, on the other side of the ball. Maybe a guy that would block a guy like Bond, and that would be Makai Becton of Louisville. He's a guy where there are some mixed opinions, but I think everybody can agree that the ceiling is massive for this kid as massive as his size um he is six seven sometimes upwards of 370 pounds um just a mountain of a human being played left tackle at louisville a lot of Bengals fans and uh maybe fans of in that live in the region um probably know becton pretty well maybe even better than i do but uh <laughs> he's a guy that is massive you know but he moves, he moves pretty well for his size. And, um, you know, it's, it's not very often that, that someone maybe projects as a left tackle in the NFL at 370 pounds. That's more maybe the right side. And, and really he's probably got to get his weight down regardless. But, um, you know, we, we saw Orlando Brown jr. A guy of, of similar size. He has played, he's was drafted by the Ravens and he's played pretty well, especially as a rookie, and that, that size ended up translating pretty well. Granted, he's been on the right side, but that's probably where Becton would start for a team. Uh, looking at, at pro football focus of Becton, they're not as high on him as a lot of people seem to be. Um, a lot of people think that you know he should be the guy at 33 for the Cincinnati Bengals if he's there. Some people believe he won't be there because he may go at the top of the first just because of his immense size, the immense ability. Um PFF has him as the 67th ranked player in the class and, and the fifth ranked tackle. 
um, as of their rankings shortly after the senior bowl. So they are not as high on him in, in terms of, uh, you know, what they've seen. Now, this is a classic. Have the metrics not caught up to the potential type of thing, right? I mean, like it, it is, is, has he just begun to kind of scratch the surface and, and, and this is, why this is the exact type of player at the exact type of position that you want to take a chance on at the top of the second, because all the tools are there, the size are there, but maybe not everything's showing up on film quite yet. To me, that's kind of what you use day two, four. You, you find a guy that has first round type of traits, but maybe some things on film aren't showing you as much. And, and that's where I think Becton falls. I think also if you look at, I think he would, for the Bengals, probably be better suited to start on the right side. Then you have Jonah Williams on the left. He's kind of a little bit of a road grader. Uh, he's a guy that, that you know, will work in the run game and actually has immense strength. If you look at some of the film clips of him, he is throwing guys across the field. He is pancaking guys. It's just the consistency factor. It's the, you know, some of the issues you see on film. But athletic for his size, absolutely a mountain of a guy. And to me, if you are the Bengals and you're Zach Taylor and you still want to preach running the football like you did last, like you did last off season, you didn't get to it until late in the season. But if you want to preach running the football and you want to protect your asset and Joe Burrow, I, I think this is a guy you look at at the top of round two. Maybe if you're able to move back a few slots, pick up another pick and he's still there. You, you make that move there, but, um, you know, very intriguing guy to me, John, especially with the size. I think he's got right tackle written all over, all over him, at least for the first part of his career. Like the, there's a reason why Daniel Jeremiah mocked him like fourth overall. Like when I was down the senior bowl, we were, we were kind of talking about because he's, he's projecting the NFL to fall in love with, ex with exactly the reasons why you said, and I don't like to boost Joe Gooberry's ego because his ego is already very high as it is. But he he's he, well, he did say that this week that he does have a lot of Willie Anderson in him, and you can obviously yeah, see I saw that. that like you know six seven almost three hundred seventy pounds, but he moves like a guy who's seventy pounds less than that. Like you you, you cannot teach that. It's it's more it, it's so much more than what we saw from Orlando Brown coming out of Oklahoma. Right. And it, like from all of that, the upside is immense. But you know, there's a lot of context that you know PFF goes into offensive line play that not a lot of, a lot of other, that not a lot of other people do. And it's why their that their evaluation in terms of offensive linemen is a lot different. It's why they there's a lot of discourse you know, surrounding that. Their reasoning behind it is because you know, I remember scouting uh, uh, Jaron or Garyon Christian, the Louisville tackle from I think a, a year or two ago, and I remember watching some of his tape, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, he's playing both left and right tackle in the same game. He's switching sides in the yeah. middle of the game depending on what they're doing, and that's exactly what they did with Beckton in his freshman sophomore year. So. There was a lot of changing around with him, and it definitely didn't help his development, and especially because he's still a raw player. And you know, in that Louisville offense, I, I'm just paraphrasing what PFF is writing about him, but they were really heavy in terms of run and obviously play action. So not a lot of true pass protecting sets to watch for him on tape. I think they only counted a 73 true, you know, type of vertical or, or 45 degree sets that you know obviously you're, you're doing multiple, you know dozens of times in the NFL per game. So there was not R a lot of RPO RPO stuff. And right, right. Uh, there, yeah. It's, it's, it's not gimmicky, but it's not, it's not what you want from an evaluation standpoint. There's not a lot to truly evaluate what he can do 
you know, when, when you're asked to do more consistent and stable things in the NFL. And on those 73 true pass sets, he was charged with eight pressures. So there's still a lot to work on with Beckton. There's still a lot to hope for. But again, like it, it's almost like it, it's like the Greg Robinson effect because, the, you know, Greg Robinson back in 2014, you know, if if, if, if Jadavion Clowney wasn't in that class, just his Greg Robinson's highlight tape as an offensive tackle, it was so much fun. And it's it's what you experience with Beckton, just getting out into space, pulling and just leveling guys in the second level. The guys who are that big are not supposed to move that fast. And there's going to be an offensive line coach. There's going to be a head coach. There's going to be a general manager who just ends up falling in love with him, who may not need a starting tackle immediately, but just love what Beckton can be rather than what he is right now. And that's why PFF is so low on him because the actual production of him in terms of what translates into the NFL, it's not as good as the, as the Tristan Wirfs or the, or the, or the Jedrick Wells or the Andrew Thomases of this class. So that's why they're a little bit low on him. But I don't think that's but I don't think that's going to be enough to keep him out of the or to have him escape the first round. If if he is available in the top of the second round, I have to imagine Jim Turner is going to be infatuated with him, especially since they're not expecting uh, another rookie tackle to start for them this year. But again, there's a lot to like and there's a lot to be cautious about with Beckton, and that's why that he's so polarizing as a prospect. But Ultimately, I think there's going to be one team that ends up falling in love with him in the first round. He's going to be a first round pick. Yeah, or or someone probably you know maybe they don't have a first round pick, or maybe they they move back into the first round and and get him towards the end part. We'll see, but um, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of a boomer bust here, and like you said, there's not a lot on tape of those big seven five seven step drops where he's got to hold on. You know, he's got to hold it and sustain a block for a couple of seconds. It's more RPO stuff. It's run blocking. And he is, if you watch the run blocking, I mean, he's throwing it's guys fun. around. It's fun yeah, as he hell. He is throwing guys around. It's it's incredible. But, you know, I, I think there are some things that if you're the Bengals and you are going to draft a drop back passer like Joe Burrow, um, granted Burrow can do the RPO stuff and he, they can run the, 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 you know, the quick passing, get the ball out quick type of stuff with him. But, you know, there are, there is going to be times with Burrow where the Bengals are going to say, we're going to, we're going to do a deep drop and we're going to throw the ball. And if you have Becht in there, he better learn that skill, um, and, and, or improve upon it from what this, some of the statistics you put out there, John, but fun player to watch really physical, and there is no doubt that he could help the Bengals in the run game. It's more, you know, what what, what is he going to give you in a, in a pass protection standpoint? So those are our two guys this week in terms of the Bengals 2020 prospect watch. We've been doing this really for, gosh, the better part of a month and a half or so now. Um, talking about a lot of different players that not only intrigue us, but also – seem to fit the Bengals in terms of positional need, value, all that good stuff. Mackay Becton and Zach Bond were the two players this week. So we uh, hope you enjoyed our little breakdown of them. John, we're going to get out of here. And we kind of do a little final final thought segment. I don't know if you want to call it mic drop or I, I don't know. I don't know what the heck we call it. You, you, you want to steal from SCP call it one big thing? Yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Um, I, well, I, I, I did say I was a cheater earlier, so maybe, maybe I do that. But, um, you know, I don't know how much we want to go into this, but 
earlier on Wednesday, there was an additional report via Ian Rappaport talking about, and, and I, I guess we kind of need to address it a little bit. A lot of people are asking about us uh, about this in the um, in the live chats here. There's a, a report from Ian Rappaport that kind of continued on a report that um, you know the Bengals it kind of cemented the fact that the Bengals are looking to trade Andy Dalton. Um, and it basically said that, you know, the, the team is making sure that they address Andy Dalton when it, when it comes time to, to talk about certain possibilities, they want to make sure he's comfortable. I, I think, uh, you know, there was a, a recent, there was a report or an interview with Duke Tobin earlier that he said, you know, we want to make sure Andy Dalton's comfortable with whatever scenario we, we place him in. And this kind of reinforced that the Bengals have been engaged in some trade talks apparently, and they are making sure that they keep an open dialogue with Andy Dalton and they're not just going to ship him anywhere. It's going to be somewhere at least that not only, I guess the, the theme is it's not just about what we get for you. It's also, we want to do right by Andy Dalton. And I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. Not only, you know, how the team is addressing that, but maybe right now some of the potential teams that are talking about him. And I think we know probably a mid round, whether it's late day two, early day three type of pick is probably what is on tap in terms of getting his services. So the opposite of this is just releasing him and just getting it over with. And with that, he has the chance of signing with any of the other 31 teams, but also the fact that he may not be able to, to, to pick the ones that have the best situations for him. And this is partly why they want to do this. Like, obviously there, there is no debating that they have respect for the guy, not as a, as a player, but definitely as a person and all the positive publicity he's done with his off the field work in the city of Cincinnati. They absolutely respect that. They have the mindset they have, they have the heart to respect somebody like that. And, you know, all the, the things that Andy Dalton has done in the past nine years, he's he's earned this right. He's earned the right to have communication, open lines of communication with how this is going to go. But also the Bengals are going to do this. So they don't profit off it in the first place, because if he is released, he's probably not going to sign a contract that gets them anything more than like a fourth or fifth round compensatory pick. Whereas if they trade him, the not only is the compensation more immediate, but it's also more valuable. So right the Bengals are doing this for themselves, but they're also doing this for Andy Dalton. But the way that this is being released right now, it's more, it's more marketed towards like, yeah, we want to do our do right by Andy Dalton, which I a hundred percent agree with. And I hundred percent believe that is the case, but it's also for their own benefit because trading Andy Dalton to you know, a team, preferably probably outside of the AFC and, you know, to a team that they're not going to face for, you know, once every four years to a team that would be, you know, it would not only benefit for have from having Andy Dalton based off, the quarterback that they had last year, but also a team that is more set up to win now that has a more capable and complete roster like the bears or like the Panthers or like a team that is potentially entering QB purgatory. You know, he's a guy that can, that can at least bridge the gap to the future of that franchise or could potentially, you know, make somewhat of a playoff push depending upon the quality of that team. Now, if it's the Patriots, there's going to be a lot of discourse with that. There's going to be a lot of discussions about that, whether or not he can be, you know, actually improved upon it, that, 32 or 33 years old, wherever, how old he is now. But, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I, I do think that the Patriots are going to have some type of interest, I guess, because, you know, the, the, the future with Brady is very much up in the air. But 
know, I, I am happy that this that this is happening the way it is, but it's also not very surprising based off of what Duke Tobin told me down at the senior bowl. You know, they weren't gonna rush this thing. They're they're gonna be their old conservative selves. They're gonna, you know, wait this out and wait for the right opportunity. But you know, the fact that they're doing this at all is definitely more more of a good thing than a bad thing. Right. And I think, you know, there there's the Bears is a logical type of destination that a lot of people are talking about. I see Lou Bowers in the Facebook chat says an interesting one to Tampa Bay. That's an interesting one. Um, you know, I've heard people say, what about Dallas? Because Dak Prescott's an, an <laughs> agent. I, I don't know if Dalton under the Dallas spotlight would be a good thing. But and I'm pretty also, sure Tom Brady's going to be there anyway. So. Right, right, right. You have to also you have to look at the fact the relationships that the Bengals have with the Patriots. They've had made a lot of trades and and acquisitions between those two teams. So there's a relationship built there, usually to the benefit of New England, not necessarily Cincinnati and Buffalo. Um, you know, Buffalo. I, I I think they're committed to their quarterback, but he kind of stumbled in the in the postseason and. You know, there's a relationship there. I don't see that really happening. But there are a couple of spots that, you know, Washington may be so inclined to, to push Dwayne Haskins under a new coaching regime. Who knows? Um, you know, a, a lot of different things can happen. But I, my thought was this when I heard this. It's just, you know, and, and I saw someone say uh, it was Chef22504 in our uh, live YouTube saying they benched the man on his birthday. Yeah, and that was pretty, pretty cold. But – the Bengals also gave Andy Dalton more chances than probably a lot of other teams would, given his postseason lack of success. They paid him a lot of money. And, uh, you know, I think this is a classy move by the organization after they've been getting so much negative PR through this Joe Burrow stuff. You know, they're kind of saying, we're going to do this right, not only for ourselves, but we're going to do this right for a guy who has represented our team well, who has represented his teammates well, who has played pretty well oftentimes for this team and has had a modicum of success. We're going to do right by this guy. And we're not just going to throw him to the wolves. We're not just going to place him in some terrible situation. And we're not just going to trade him to trade him. Now, that tune may change as the team may or may not get more desperate and the, the offers are low or whatever. I don't know, but I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good look for the team after kind of being dragged through the mud a little bit over the past couple of weeks. And it, it it's a look that, uh, you know, I, I think it does say, speak a little bit to some of the players that are thinking about coming to Cincinnati or maybe these people, these rookies that are coming to the team that, you know, we do take care of our own, even though if it means showing them the door, we're taking care of our own a little bit. And um, maybe that's a reach by me in terms of, of looking for, for a positive, but I, I think it was, it was a good move and it did, you know, it did also remind me of, of what Andy Dalton has done in Cincinnati, especially with the news of what, Baker Mayfield has been accused of, or, you know, whatever over the, <laughs> over the past 24, 48 hours. Um, and, and you just see the dichotomy there, but um, you know, he's, he's not, I think it all, but it solidifies the Bengals are going to keep their number one pick. They're going to select a quarterback and Andy Dalton is not going to be in Cincinnati. He's probably, and he's probably not going to be within the division. He's going to go somewhere else. Um, it's just a matter of what they get for him. And um, you know, I, I think they're, they're approaching this the right way. It's the best kind of positive PR move because they're not doing it for the sake of positive PR because I don't right. think I don't like this is this is just the part of the plan. And if you and if you've been paying attention, this isn't surprising. It obviously made the news because the Bengals and quarterbacks are such a newsworthy topic nowadays. So it works as positive PR, but it was not intended to be positive PR. And I'm pretty like 100 percent confident in that. It's really just a testament 
of just them sticking to their ways, not worried about what people are saying outside of the walls. The only communication that matters is between them and the players that they're focusing on. And this is no different. Yeah. Ron Muir says Dalton to the, to the chargers possible, but I, I don't, I don't know that LA would, I don't know if Dalton's an LA guy. Um, and, personally, I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, you, you, you could visit them from time to time. I could, I could, I could yeah. say hello. Hey Andy, how's it going? But uh, interesting news. And obviously I think, you know, the, the, the deadline that the Bengals can, I think it's March 16th is the deadline for, um, you know, free agency outside free agency where, where teams can start signing players, I think is March 18th at 4 PM Eastern. Um, and then the 16th is kind of when, you know, you can start executing trades, re-signing some of your own guys, negotiating with some players, that sort of thing. So probably around that time is a little bit before, a couple of days before free agency, I would imagine is when we'll hear a lot of rumors. And if for some reason a trade does not happen, expect it to happen on draft weekend. Um, Like what happened with Josh Rosen last year. So, um, you know, I, I would not be, especially if a team misses out on a quarterback in that first round, second round, that sort of thing. Um, you know, they may come calling. So still yeah. more to come on there. This has been another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this show on a lot of different platforms. Subscribe to it. Leave us a rating and keep your eyes on cincyjungle.com for all the news, opinions, analysis, everything centering around the Cincinnati Bengals. Check out the other podcasts in the Cincy Jungle family of podcasts in the SB Nation uh, SB Nation network, sports network of podcasts. We are very excited to be a part of that group, and we thank you so much for all of your support. For John Sharon, I'm Anthony Cazenza. We'll see you next time.